You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Uh, I just feel like God is here, and uh, during worship, God was just, just wrecking me. Um, God is here. King Jesus is here. And um, I felt like this question was stirring in my heart as, as we were worshiping is, will you recognize me? King Jesus is here. The question is, will we recognize him? And um, I think all too often the Christmas season, we miss Jesus. And um, obviously, this, was the, this has been the essence of our entire Christmas theme, is, has been Messiah revealed himself 2,000 years, prophetically fulfilling millennia of prophecies foretelling his coming. And, and yet, many did not recognize him. Let it not be said of us, in 21st century of us in 2019 that we miss what Jesus is doing. And, and I just want us to take time to recognize King Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to do something I've never asked our church to do. I'm gonna ask you if you're physically able, would you find a place in this sanctuary to get on your knees before King Jesus? If you're not physically able, then just bow in your hearts. But I just want us to get before King Jesus. I believe he's here. King Jesus is here. We recognize you, King Jesus, this morning. Let's sing this out. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We give you all the glory. 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 Christ the Lord, you are worthy God. You're so worthy, Jesus, King Jesus, Messiah, Christ the Lord. You are worthy of it all. And you are worthy of interrupting on our agenda. You're worthy of us setting aside our pre-programmed surface. You're worthy, Jesus. Is he worthy of interrupting your life this morning? Is he worthy of getting your attention? (laughs) You are worthy of it all, Jesus. Messiah King. 
Lord, we repent of not recognizing you and what you're doing. We want in. I say it, Lord, King Jesus. I'm yours. I lay myself before you. I am yours. God, this church, we as a people, we as a church family, we say we are yours. Do with us as you will. Rule and reign, God, in an increasing measure. Rule and reign in this church. Rule and reign in this city. Rule and reign in our hearts. Increasing peace as you increase in your rule and reign. We pray it in your mighty name, King Jesus. Have your way this Christmas. In your name, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, King Jesus is so attracted to simple obedience. If we can just learn to say yes quicker to King Jesus, just say yes. When he asks you to do something, just say yes. Just allow that to be more of a mantra for your life. You'll, you'll find a blessing that follows you. You'll find a, a favor that follows you as you just say yes to Jesus when he asks you to do something, even if it's weird or different or out of the ordinary. I was gonna ask, uh, I want Kyle Barnes to come and share. This week during midweek prayer, we just had an amazing time with God. We were praying this week for revival because it is God's will that he shakes our city and that he sweeps across our city with grace, opening people's eyes to who he is. That's God's will. That's the biblical precedent, the historical precedent is God's will for our city is revival. And we were praying in that way. And Kyle Barnes shared this encouraging word with me during midweek prayer. He didn't share it in the mic. And so I wanted him to share it this morning before y'all. Would you mind sharing that from Isaiah yeah, 43? Sure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, while I was praying, the Lord just laid in my heart, well, first and foremost, um, the beginning of the day, he just laid this word in my heart, Isaiah 43, 19, and as I went throughout the day, pretty much didn't make too much of it, because I was, I was kind of, you know, mulling it over, and then I came to midweek prayer, and, you know, it was perfect timing, you know, God knows what he's doing, and that was exactly the theme of what you were praying for that day, and I just want to share it with you this morning, as the ESV puts it, it says, uh, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers, and rivers in the desert. And I believe what the, what the Lord was saying is that, you know, this church has been going through its birthing pains and this is it. This is the new thing that God is doing. And, you know, I want to I add to it this morning as we're kneeling this morning. I really feel that God just laid out in my heart to say that, you know, the, the leadership of the church is... Set. They know the leadership of the church is steering us in the right direction of where God wants us to go. But this morning, our posture this morning, God says, is in the right place. And it's like we've caught, we've caught, uh, we've caught that flame. You know, we've caught what God has is, is, is imparted into the leadership. It's trickled down through into the, into the church. And the Lord also laid in my heart that there will come a time now where individually, one, every single one of us will have a burden on our heart of a responsibility to fulfill in our role in this ministry. And remember, it's not just about me or you or, or the, the name of the church, but it's about the kingdom of God and what Amen. God is doing. And so we've got to put that as our focus and know that you know, God has called us for the greater purpose, not just for, for you know, coming here and showing face, but with that conviction and what God is doing. And he said specifically, I'm not in a rush. God's timing is perfect, and he's not going to push something. You know, if we're not there 
to meet him halfway. He's not going to force it on us. So we got to be kind of like preempted and, and enthusiastic to jump in and meet him halfway. But he's, this is it, church. This is it. Amen. You're part of something groundbreaking. You're part of something unprecedented. So, Amen. you know, that's God's heart this morning. And, you know, be encouraged with the fact that, you know, you're part of something new. God is doing something Amen. new in this ministry. And here we are. So we just give Amen. him all the praise Thank and glory. You, Thank you, Lord. And that had stuck with me all week because Isaiah, that passage in Isaiah 43 was a passage two other people had shared with me at other instances. And, and any time the Lord begins to repeat words of encouragement, prophetic words to you, you should take note of that and steward those words then before him. And, um, and so the, the part that stood out to him was that, that question that Isaiah poses, that the Lord poses through the prophet Isaiah, do you not perceive it? And it was a pointed question, as Kyle said, to each one of us individually. Do you perceive the role that God is calling you to play and what he wants to do on the earth today and through us here in little old Story County, Iowa? God wants to use you. The question is, do you perceive it? And I want to perceive it. I want to be a part of it. Um, amen. So thank you, Kyle, for your obedience. Um, hey, this morning starts uh, the beginning of uh, signing up for uh, your copy of 30 Days Discovering the Power of Prayer, both for adults and for kids. I don't have the kids' version with me because it's out of the table. But, um, but two versions of very similar experiences that we've created to kick off 2020. Um, and so this morning, you can reserve your copy. And the reason we're asking you to reserve your copy is so we know how many to order. We're not ordering extras. So please just reserve your copy so we know how many people want to be a part of this 30-day campaign, this 30-day challenge where we're going to be spurring each other on in our walks with the Lord. So that's the idea. The whole story behind the 30 days discovering the power of prayer was a challenge I received 15 years ago as a college student when at the end of a Kyle Fall retreat, the speaker stood before us and he said, I challenge you to give one hour a day for 30 days straight to prayer. And there was a group of us college students that, that did that. And that was a pivotal um, trajectory-shifting season of my life over that period of 30 days and beyond. So there's nothing magical about 30 days, but 30 days for me personally, that was a significant shift that took place in my life as for 30 days, I intentionally changed things up and did things differently to intentionally go after God and seek God in a, in a, in a, for a special season. And what we saw on the college camp, campus was just a move of the Holy Spirit that, that's unexplainable other than God. And, um, and so we created this. I, I wrote this uh, this version for adults, Nicole Barnes, our children's ministry director, she wrote a version for kids. They complement each other. There's a Bible reading plan that complements. Um, so what the, the parents will be reading in scripture complements what the kids will be reading in scripture. Uh, it's an amazing experience. And so the, the adult version is $10, which is, there's zero profit in that. No one's making any money off of that. That's, t that's the actual wholesale cost of the adult version because of the amazing artwork in there. This is all original artwork um, by artists in our church. And so I got to embarrass the artists. They don't like to be called out. But if you participated in, in the, uh, the artistic expression in this book, would you stand to your feet? Paige Holzbauer, Robert Jenkins, Taylor Nickerson, Amy Savage was really the, the one spearheading the team as well. Those four did phenomenal work to make this something original for our church. And so the $10 is literally the wholesale cost of it. 
because it's color, it costs us more to print it. The kids' version is $2. That's the wholesale cost of the kids' the kids version. So we're not making any money. We just felt like since it's, a, it's an experience, people should have skin in the game to, to, to really make the most out of it. So we're actually passing that cost on to those that want to be a part of it. So, yep. Yeah, oh, yeah, please text your name. If you're going to use the, the text number, please text your name and how many copies you want, especially with the kids' version. Um, and then we'll have, we'll have copies with your name on it then when you come uh, set aside for you. Um, awesome? Okay, great. I want to share, a, uh, share something on my heart from Isaiah 61 this morning, if you have your Bibles. Isaiah 61. We're going to look at a, a prophecy about the coming Messiah 700 years before Jesus came to earth. This is what the prophet Isaiah said. At a difficult time in Israel's history, they're being bombarded by Assyria, a foreign empire. In Israel and in Judah, they're, they're constantly under the threat of Assyria, also taking them over in Judah. And Isaiah, prompted by the Holy Spirit, this is what he sees of, of the future for, for God's people. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Excuse me. I'm still wrecked by worship, so praise God in our messiness. Okay, um, this is prophesied by the prophet Isaiah of this coming Messiah. And then you can, just, you can just imagine this prophetic word just sitting with the people of Israel. Like, okay, this is what this servant of, the, a servant of God is, is gonna be like. He's gonna be one who proclaims good news to the poor and, and liberty to the captives. Okay, we're waiting. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And honestly, as the centuries go on, Israel enters into a season of silence. All the prophets kind of cease prophesying. After, after Malachi, there's like 300-some years of silence. And then King Jesus comes onto the planet, recognized by few, recognized by some. And let's look at that then in Luke chapter 4. You can turn there, Luke chapter 4. Jesus says, you know, he says at point blank sometimes that he actually is fulfilling prophecy, but this is one of those few times where he actually says, I am fulfilling this. I am the fulfillment of what's been foretold. I stand before you as the fulfillment. Not everyone has ears still, even in, even in that um, to, the, to the point uh, nature, not even everyone still recognizes him, but... Let's read this. This is in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. After his ministry's already started, people are starting to hear that he's, he's, he's doing miracles. He's actually healing the blind. He's, he's teaching with an authority that's, 
uh, unprecedented. We see it here in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus comes to the synagogue in Nazareth. And I think it's important to, to properly understand what synagogue life would have been like. And just a couple of weeks ago, I got to, to be here in the Holy Land and, and walk into a, a synagogue, a fourth century synagogue in Capernaum. But it was actually built on the foundations of a first century synagogue, the very synagogue Jesus would have taught in. And this was a, this, the, the synagogue in Capernaum, which was a big city, was pretty massive. It could have probably held a couple hundred people. But you imagine in a synagogue life, people actually facing each other. So not like this, not like theater seating, but instead people actually facing each other. Synagogue gatherings were much more interactive. So the idea of Jesus standing and doing a reading like this is, is, is pretty common. It'd be pretty typical. So, they, so then we went down the street to a synagogue in Magdala. And there, the synagogue, this is a first century synagogue, and the synagogue was probably, you know, as big as one of our sections of seats. Like, literally, that was maybe even a little smaller than that. This is a synagogue they just discovered a few years ago. And so you'd imagine in little Nazareth, a tiny little village, that the synagogue would have been very small, maybe holding 20 or 30 people. And Jesus walks into this very familiar place, this place that he, he frequented, especially on the Sabbath, he probably had done many readings before, but this time was different. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went on to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. It was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. It seems like a mic drop, but not quite, because the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today this scripture, this prophecy, spoken of 700 years prior, Today it's fulfilled in your hearing. And he says it point blank. They end up running him out of there because they, 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 they don't have the hearts to receive him, to recognize him, just as we were saying, God, we want to recognize you. So many do not recognize Jesus as Messiah, even though he literally stands before them and says, I'm fulfilling this. Please recognize it. He's having mercy on them by telling them that today he's fulfilling it. This morning, my aim is very simple. My aim is that everyone walk out of this place with a greater faith in the saving power of Jesus. Not only his sufficiency to save, but the magnitude of his saving power. That he can save anyone in any way at any time. That's who he is as King Jesus. He doesn't just give us a clean slate, forgive us of our sins, the eternal consequences of those sins. There's a depth and a breadth of his saving power that I want our eyes to be open to this morning in King Jesus. And he points it to us in this prophecy of, uh, of Isaiah, of the, um, the depths of which sin ravaged humanity. 
And he says he comes to save us from all of that. He comes to save us from all of the effects of sin. He is a sufficient redeemer, a sufficient savior. His power is more than enough. He is Messiah that can save anyone in any way at any time. And he doesn't save halfway. So there's... There's five results of sin that, he po- that I believe the pro- prophet Isaiah points out here that I want to show that Jesus saves us from. One is that sin impoverishes. Sin wipes us clean of any value, anything of, of, of value that we cling to in this world. Sin just rips that from us and leaves us completely, as Revelation chapter three says, poor, pitiable, and naked. That's what sin leaves us. That's the state in which sin leaves us. And Jesus comes as Savior, sufficient Savior, and he proclaims good news to the poor. Secondly, sin breaks hearts. Sin leaves wounds and damage deep in our, the inner recesses of who we are. That is one of the results of sin. Sin doesn't just have external consequences, but sin has internal consequences in the deepest recesses of our heart. And Jesus comes and fulfills this prophecy that he's going to be one who proclaims liberty to, or sorry, he binds up the brokenhearted. Third is this sin enslaves. Sin holds us captive. Sin fools us and lures us into this idea of freedom, of us sitting on the throne of our own hearts. But it's always a trap every single time. And what what, what sin is actually doing is luring us in to this place of complete captivity, complete enslavement to the sin that promised us freedom. And Jesus comes as one who proclaims liberty to the captives. Four, sin blinds. Sin puts this, this veil, deceptive veil over our eyes that doesn't allow us to see ourselves correctly, doesn't allow us to see the world around us accurately, sin blinds us from seeing anything accurately. And Jesus comes as one who proclaims sight to the blind. Fifth, sin oppresses. There is a heavy weight that accompanies sin. It's like a a wet blanket that sits on us when we choose to walk in our own disobedient, rebellious ways, this heaviness that falls upon us. And Jesus comes as one who proclaims true freedom from this oppression that haunts us day after day. That is who Jesus is, the Messiah who saves anyone in any way at any time. That is King Jesus. And he says, that's who I am. I stand before you. I am fulfilling this prophecy today. So all of that was just bonus. I want us to break down this, this reality that Jesus is, is one who does not save halfway. He, he saves anyone in any way at any time. That's who he is. He saves anyone. Anyone on the planet that's willing to turn their hearts towards him. They're willing to humble themselves like the prodigal son in the, in the midst of the, the, the pig slop and turn themselves towards the father. He is sufficient to save anybody. That includes you. If you're here in this place, 
feeling completely condemned, full of shame, like you've messed up too many times, like you're too far gone, Jesus is sufficient to save. Messiah, King Jesus, revealed 2,000 years ago and still being revealed on the earth to this day. He is enough. And he can save anyone. That's any one of your family members, the ones you're gonna probably be rubbing shoulders this week with. Ones who seem too far gone, they seem too hard-hearted, too stuck in their own ruts. Some who have lived their entire lives, now they reach the end of their lives and they still seem just as hard-hearted, just as stubborn, set against the things of God. Jesus saves and he can save anyone. Think of Jesus coming to little old Nazareth and, and proclaiming this. Messiah, I mean, Nazareth was, was nothing, it was hardly even a speck on the map. Scholars, historians, they, they estimate maybe a few hundred people lived in Nazareth. Skeptics even question whether, there, whether it would be en- enough of a village to even have a synagogue for Jesus to teach in. And yet Jesus comes to Nazareth because they have value. Every single person in that tiny little village had value. And he stood before them. His limited time on the earth, he stood before them and he proclaimed good news to them. He proclaimed a message of hope in that tiny little insignificant town of Nazareth. So it doesn't doesn't matter the insignificance of your past, the insignificance of your family, the insignificance of what you feel like your opinion of Iowa is. Jesus can save anyone. That's actually our motivation in taking this leap come January 12th to move to two services. We legitimately believe this burning in our hearts that Jesus can save anyone in our city. So when we hear these numbers that 50% of our county don't even have any sort of religious affiliation, let alone a, a faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, our hearts burn for us to do something more. And so the simple math of this is, is, is this, folks. We have one full service now, and all through the fall it's been full. Biggest numbers that we've had in terms of attendance in my nine years of being here. But the simple math of that is if we take one full service and we split it into two, that means there's gonna be empty seats. And that's where each and every one of us need to begin to take a posture of prayer, saying, God, who do you want me to invite? Who do you want me to bring along with me to church for them to experience King Jesus for themselves? God, who is it that you're working on right now? Whose hearts are, whose hearts are open to the things of you right now? If each and every one of us took that posture, that heart posture, in the place of prayer, and we said, God, who is it that you want me to invite? Two services is no problem. Every seat will be filled. And I believe that any time God gives us a seat, his will is that it be filled because his heart is King, Messiah, is that anyone can be saved. Second is in any way. Messiah can save anyone in any way. Every aspect of our brokenness, every aspect of our depravity, Jesus comes to redeem us from it. So it doesn't matter what the inner recesses of your heart look like in terms of the, the effects of sin, that they've, they've, the toll that it, sin has played in your life. Jesus comes to redeem us from that. Doesn't matter the addiction, doesn't matter the thought, the thought patterns, it doesn't matter the, the seasons of abuse you endured, 
doesn't matter if you were the abuser. Jesus saves us from that. He, he can save in any way. As I was considering this in our own church family, I believe that's one thing that makes a church family so beautiful is the diversity of our stories. And so many of your faces came into my mind as ones that God has uniquely redeemed. In some special way, he's had your number. And he redeemed you and saved you from the muck and the mire of your own mess. Some, their their hearts have been healed from wounds, from pains of the past and abuse, words spoken over them. And God has revealed himself as the, the healer, the one who binds up the brokenhearted. There have been some that have experienced the miraculous as God as as the one who's sufficient to heal. And they stand before you as a walking testimony of Jesus, resurrected Jesus, still working on the earth, healing bodies. There have been some who have been freed from addictions. Some instantaneously healed from addictions. Others over a long period of time of continuing to come back and stand on the promises knowing that Jesus can heal me from this addiction to cigarettes. Jesus can heal me from this addiction to alcohol. Jesus can heal me from this addiction to pornography. Some instantaneously, some over a process of God doing a deeper work in our hearts, but we stand together as a church family, as ones who've experienced Jesus as the one who can save in any way. That's what we are. And we should never lose sight of that. We should never lose touch from where we came from, and the significance of Jesus' power that he's revealed and that he is revealing, present tense, present progressive. Am I right? Jesus, King Messiah, saves anyone in any way at any time. There's no one who's too far gone. I could stand before you and share testimonies of some who literally surrendered their life on their deathbed because it's never too late. There's none who are too far gone, that the situation is too hopeless, that it somehow confounds Messiah Jesus. He can save at any time. And so think of the the context of Jesus coming the first time around. He steps onto the the planet at a time of, of darkness and silence. And it was not an ideal, I've talked about this in prior weeks, it was not an ideal time for Jesus to come. Right now they're being ruled by the Roman Empire. I mean, King Herod slaughtered all of the, uh, the, the young boys of Jesus' generation just out of sheer jealousy. I mean, that was the, the amount of pride prevalent at the, in, the, in the nation of Israel at the time. It was not an ideal time for Jesus to come, but that is the nature of, of what he is like and how he operates. He can save at any time he wants. He can accomplish his purposes of redemption and salvation on the earth and in your life. Romans chapter four, verse 17, describes Jesus as this. The one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. So he looks at an impossible situation and maybe for you, it's a loved one. It's maybe a grandparent or a parent or a sibling or a a prodigal son or daughter. 
And you literally look at the situation, and you're like, this is an impossible situation. Romans chapter four, verse 17, you should just like write it on your bathroom mirror or something. Jesus looks at that situation and he calls into existence things that do not exist. That's, that's the way he operates because he can save at any time. He's King Jesus, King Messiah, who can save anyone in any way at any time. And he doesn't save halfway. I, I have the privilege and the honor of doing ministry with my, my brother, Tony, and, uh, and just that fact that I can say that, that today, in the year 2019, that I'm doing ministry shoulder to shoulder with him is a miracle of the God who calls into existence, into existence things that do not exist. And I, I think back to our story growing up, and, and I made a commitment to follow Jesus when I was nine years old. After following the testimony of my dad, I just realized well, the faith that my dad had, there was substance there that I wanted in my life. And I didn't walk a perfect life. I had my ups and downs and my moments of stupidity and still to this day have that. But I did walk a starkly different path and trajectory than my brother. And God did many things in my life. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in middle school and in high school was significant seasons of growth and college was a complete 180 of, of change and transformation in my life. But all the while, as I'm walking after Jesus, just doing the best that I can to grow in the things of God, my brother was in a starkly different trajectory. This hatred for God, hatred for himself, hatred towards my mother for her taking her own life. How could she do something so selfish? And all of that sent him in this trajectory of self-destruction. And from our, from our seat, it seemed like a hopeless situation. I remember his senior year of high school when he got kicked out of high school for fighting so much. I mean, that was his, his MO. His MO was constantly fighting. In the home, outside of the home, in school, it didn't matter. That was kind of his way. He was just kind of a tough guy that would take out anybody. This feisty guy that would, he was just angry. All this pent up anger because the enslavement of sin wrapped around his heart. And so from our seat, it seemed like an impossible situation. But every, every once in a while, there'd be this grace put upon my dad, my, my younger brother Bryce, upon myself, to pray a prayer of faith, even though it seemed like a left field prayer. It's like, God, save Tony, God. I know you can do it. And there'd be moments where I'd even, I'd even write a letter to him. Didn't know if he would throw it in the toilet or tear it up or what he'd do with it. But I'd write him a letter just telling him I love him that I pray for him and I know God has something different for his life and I'd lay it on his pillow. Did, I did that a couple times and there'd be some times where on a Sunday night service or something, me and my younger brother, we'd come up to the altar and we'd just pray for my brother. I remember vi visiting him at his really depress depressing apartment when he got kicked out of high school. My, my dad made him go and live on his own and, and we'd go visit him there and we just left so so heavy-hearted for our brother that we loved. And so when he actually encountered Jesus, it was that moment that seemed impossible. The situation seemed hopeless. He, he had gotten in trouble for hitting a guy in the face with a skateboard. 
I mean, like, the anger wasn't getting any better. The situation wasn't getting any more hope-filled. He continued to surround himself with, with bad influences. But I, I remember the place I was at, like, the, 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 the class period I was in, my senior year of high school, and my brother surrendered his life to Christ. Getting the message, I can't remember how I got the message, but I remember the place I was at standing in my little high school when I got, got word that my, my dad prayed a prayer of salvation with my older brother in the parking lot of a cafe. And it was like that moment. <laughs> Jesus can save at any time. Situation that seems hopeless. It's like, it can't get any bleaker. It can't get any, any worse. And yet Jesus comes in, penetrates the hopeless situation and saves a hard heart. So that's who King Messiah is. He can save anyone in any way at any time. And he doesn't save halfway. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward and just play that song, Oh, Come All You Faithful, or just the choruses, Oh, Come All You Faithful. I just want us to adore Messiah, King Jesus, this Christmas season. As we wrap up a, uh, as we wrap up a calendar year and, and turn our eyes towards 2020, it would suit us well to stir up faith for what God wants to do. And as you take inventory of your own life, the people that God has blessed you with having an influence on, I believe God's calling us to have a fresh faith for our city, for our families, maybe for our kids, maybe for our spouse that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, whoever those individuals are, I believe God is stirring up a faith to believe that he can save anyone in any way at any time. Maybe there's certain things that you've been clinging to in your own brokenness that you believe are, are too broken for Jesus to save. Certain addictions or thought patterns, tendencies, whatever you want to call them. And this morning, Jesus wants to bring a fresh dose of faith as you encounter him as King Messiah that can save anyone in any way at any time. So that's how we're going to respond to Jesus. If you'd all just bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I believe I made it pretty clear that how you can respond to Jesus right now. There's some in this place that need to stand in the gap for someone that doesn't know Jesus. There's some in this place that they themselves need to place themselves before King Messiah and say, Jesus, there's some junk in my life that I've been clinging to and hanging on to that I've, I've felt like is just too much for you. And this morning, you just need to have a moment with Jesus where he comes and, and heals your heart. He orients your mind to truth, regrounds you in what is right. So Lord Jesus, I just pray that over our church this morning as you have, you've got our attention this Christmas season. And you've increased the level of faith in our hearts to know that you don't save halfway. That you came and you proclaimed good news to the poor, proclaimed liberty to the captives. You came to bind up the brokenhearted. You came to proclaim freedom for the oppressed. That's who you are. You're more than sufficient to save anyone in this place in any way and at any time, doesn't matter the hopeless situation that they seem to be stuck in. 
This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.